Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 23rd, probably the 24th by the time you get to hear this because we're recording pretty late on the 23rd. Thanks to everybody for stepping in while I was away for a few days, enjoying some time with family, nice late season break. On this episode, we dig into prospects. We may have some surprises in the final weeks of this season. We're going to dig into why and who those players might be over the course of this episode. We'll have few injury updates, we'll have some level changes, we'll have at least one trending player to talk about, and a level roundup at double A. So Al, let's get rolling here, and let's start with a couple of potential call-ups. It sounds like there's a chance that both Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll will make their Major League debuts by the end of this season, and one thing that I had not thought a lot about were the implications of the Rookie of the Year awards and how service time eligibility for those awards might actually dictate a team's willingness to call up a player at the very end of the season. If you get 45 days of service time, you are no longer eligible for the Rookie of the Year award the following season. Tuesday, today, the day we're recording this, was the first day you could call up a player and have them only accrue 44 days for the rest of the season. So that's relevant for Henderson and Carroll specifically. With Carroll, there were comments made recently by Mike Hazen, head of Diamondbacks organization, at least the baseball operations department, saying he wanted to see Carroll in the big leagues this year. So that one you know, kind of fits into the, well, the team has signaled it. And for Henderson, the Orioles are still hanging around in the playoff race, and he's been playing more positions at AAA. So this one's uh, pretty interesting because I think we've kind of put, their, put ourselves in this position where because of the way teams have handled these situations in recent years, we all lowered our expectations. Many of us lowered our expectations for these types of call-ups happening, especially the Carroll situation. Arizona's not going to the playoffs this year, but the Henderson situation now is one that I think we could see repeated in future years so long as the current rules remain in place. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about that angle either, so that makes me a little bit more hopeful for Henderson because particularly once the news about Carroll uh, broke last week with, um, I don't know if we can really say news broke, but like you said, the comments that were made by Mike Hazen, uh, that uh, I was thinking, okay, well, if there's another player that could come up that could have a similar impact, it would be Gunnar Henderson. And I hadn't seen any uh, similar kinds of reports or quotes, but yeah, that um, trend of him playing some different positions along with the point that you made about Rookie of the Year uh, eligibility. Pretty pretty darn intriguing. So I've already gone and added Carroll to my 12-teamer. Uh, I did that over the, the weekend with Fab. Spent a buck and got Corbin Carroll uh, for what it will hopefully be my, my postseason run in, in that uh, head-to-head league. So uh, I would definitely recommend that uh, to folks uh, while uh, you still might be able to do it for, for a dollar. Uh, and yeah, I think maybe for Henderson too, uh, it'd be, be worthwhile if you can 
stash uh, stash him. Probably can't stash both of them. So now that I've got Carol on, uh, Carol on my my roster, probably wouldn't make sense to stash Henderson too. But I think it's a good move if you if you have the room. Yeah, both players have a lot of things they can do to possibly help you. I mean, I think the power-speed combo that you're seeing from both Henderson and Carroll right now is exactly what we're looking for. Henderson has now spent more time this year at AAA than he did at AA. During that time, 11 home runs now at AAA in 58 games. He's 7 for 8 as a base stealer. You combine the homers and steals across two levels this season. He is both a homer and a stolen base away from a being a 2020 player this year which would be fantastic. He's doing that, of course, with a good OBP and a good batting average. We have seen the strikeout rate tick up for Henderson with the move to AAA. And because the strikeout rate was on the high side last year during his time, both at low A and high A, right around 30%, when you combine those numbers, the concern about some swing and miss has been lingering with the massive improvement with the move to AA this year. I think it has most people excited about both of these guys being impact players upon arrival and, and fitting both into the roster yeah it could be tricky it's, it's more of a more of a timing thing you know if we're talking about both of these guys getting up to the big leagues by the end of this week maybe you can find a way to make it work but if you're trying to just stash a player right now it's tough to stash more than one we say that all the time on this show but I think both offer enough to where I'm interested even in those shallow leagues if I've got the flexibility to do it if I can stash them ahead of time or in a shallow enough league if they're still available once the news breaks in the next few days or next few weeks. I'm excited to see both of these players, and I'm glad that we're moving a little closer to a service time structure that gives players a better chance to debut late in the year. Because under the previous situation, under the previous rules, you'd look at it and just kind of say, all right, no, this isn't going to happen. The Diamondbacks are going nowhere this year. Why would they bother in this case? If Carroll could win the Rookie of the Year award in the National League next year, they get draft pick compensation for him doing that, and their incentive to call him up early is actually uh, even greater if they give him this look down the stretch this season. If they can prove that he's, in fact, ready for the start of the season next year, it, it kind of feeds off of, of uh, wanting to get that draft pick, giving him that chance now. So I, I do like that for our purposes. Brett Beatty is up. He's getting an opportunity with the Mets. We wondered about this on the show last week. I was a little bit skeptical because if they hadn't done it by then what was the reason they were going to do it well it turns out they decided to go ahead and make the move and the funny thing is he has started eight consecutive games at third base for the Mets since being promoted after we recorded last week Uh, now that we've seen a week's worth of action from him has anything changed for you in terms of your interest in him in, in various formats well not not really, uh, because uh, I think the line that I was holding a week, well, the line I was holding a week ago was, well, the reports are he's not going to come up at all this year, and I did say on the show that I was a little bit skeptical of that, uh, and it took uh, an Eduardo Escobar injury to to change the course for the Mets, but I think you know probably once that happened, I was thinking not very interested in twelve teamers, but definitely interested in anything deeper. I did pick him up in a fifteen team league, so. I, you know, going into this weekend, I don't, pers- I don't think I'll be going after Beatty in my twelve, uh, in my twelve teamer, and that's not just because he hasn't really done a lot since homering in his first at bat. Um, it's just we talked about this I think last week that for much of his minor league career, there's not really been a lot of of power because there's not been a, a lot of fly balls, and then that changed this year, double A, but with him essentially skipping AAA, just playing a few games there. 
you would expect that there might be a, a little bit of a, a transition, a little bit of a learning curve, and I think we're seeing that already. Yeah, not a surprise. In the bottom third of the order right now, this is the one potential drawback for contending teams bringing players like this up. They don't necessarily get a prominent spot immediately upon being promoted to the big leagues. So uh, that's the one drawback. But Beatty was the best offensive player at AA among qualified hitters earlier this season. Just in terms of WRC+, plus, there's a lot here to like. So if he makes adjustments quickly, he could play a prominent role, I think, into the postseason. At least being a regular fixture for them for his bat. But he has to make it happen quickly to sort of carve out that short-term opportunity. Uh, Shea Langoliers, as promised, is up. Only six games up so far, entering play on Tuesday. Having a bit of a strikeout issue early on, 45.8% K rate. But again, we're talking about six games. And clearly, the A's are high on his bat because five of his first seven starts have been as the DH. They're fitting him in, of course, with Sean Murphy still in the equation. But it's nice to see Langoliers getting this opportunity. And I believe this came prior to the cutoff, so the you know the same implications of, of waiting on Carroll and waiting on Henderson for those late opportunities, that wasn't the case with the A's. They just gave Langoliers the chance around the time they felt he was ready. Yeah, which is also nice to see. And it's been just a wild start for him because, like you said, there's a strikeout problem. And in related news, there's a contact problem. A 27.2% swinging strike rate. Now, this is all small sample fun for Langoliers. But on the other, on the flip side of that, unfortunately, there is a flip side. It's not just all swing and miss. He has five extra base hits already in just 24 plate appearances. So I'll, I'll take the glass half full view of that uh, and say, okay, He's got to work on the swing and miss, but he's uh, hitting for a lot of power already very, very quickly. So uh, if he could just bring that uh, whiff rate down, it's pretty exciting. What does the cutoff look like right now for Langoliers? What types of leagues are you comfortable using him in? Well, not not one catcher leagues. So, uh, I mean, unless it's extreme, <laughs> extremely deep. Uh, so I think... I'm looking at leagues that probably have more than 15 catchers. So pretty much all two catcher leagues, but uh, it would have to be a very deep one catcher league uh, for him to, to really be viable. Yeah. I think that's a good cutoff at this point for Shea Langoliers. Plenty of playing time so far and maybe a easier path to a more prominent spot in that Oakland lineup, given the issues the A's have had putting runs on the board. A couple of notes from the guardians organization, Cody Morris is really pitching well at AAA. He lost a lot of time this season to a shoulder injury, Al. I'm starting to wonder if he's actually a late-season impact starter in waiting if Cleveland feels that he is, in fact, ready to go. That That's, uh, yeah, I, I you know, we've talked about uh, some of the hitters that, that may come up or that have already come up, and that uh, would seem plausible. I mean, just in very, very short time at AAA Columbus, 24 strikeouts in 12 and a third innings with only five walks. So if he continues to pitch like that over his next couple of starts, if especially if they hang in the, the wild card picture, I think it'd be hard to keep Morris down. Yeah, he's already made between this season and last season, 13 total appearances, 11 starts now at the triple a level, 49 total innings, but a lot of strikeouts that strikeout rate you described for this year, it was there last year as well, 52 Ks and 36 and two-thirds innings during his brief time with Columbus a season ago. Seems like bat-missing stuff, and 
there could be a need sooner rather than later in the back of that Cleveland rotation. Uh, the Guardians also made a move with Nolan Jones. They optioned him back to AAA Columbus. I thought that was kind of surprising, given that his O-swing percentage really hasn't been that bad. Um, his overall ability to just hold his own. I mean, he's a tick below league average so far in terms of WRC+. Plus. I, I just thought he would earn more playing time. I think they did sort of tip their hand a little bit because the playing time was tapering off a little bit prior to this demotion. Yeah, uh, I think that's exactly right. That It, it w- would have been a surprise maybe if it came like a week earlier, but it did seem like the writing was on the wall. So... Uh, it is unfortunate he didn't get more of, of a chance, but they've been kind of cycling through outfielders. Well, it seems like forever, really, <laughs> but especially this season. So I would be surprised to see Jones back up, but I still think if that does happen, that his appeal is, is going to be more 15 teams and deeper. Now, looking at a few other recent debuts, Drew Waters getting a chance for the Royals. He, of course, was acquired from the Atlanta organization earlier this summer. Spent 31 games at the AAA level after the trade, a total of 80 at the level for the season. Something may have clicked for Waters, though, after the trade. A 14% walk rate over those 31 games, easily the highest of his career. Still a good bit of swing and miss, 28.7% strikeout rate. Waters was 13 for 13 as a base dealer with Omaha and he hit seven home runs in that limited time there. I'm just curious if anything is different for you. Do you buy into some of those changes, all of those changes, or is it still more of a wait and see situation given the way that he seemed to kind of stall out previously at the AAA level? Well, for 15 teams, 15 team leagues, I, I don't think it's a wait and see situation. I'm, I'm intrigued and you know, if it, if Waters had more of just like a a power only profile, I might not be saying that. But because you mentioned the the perfect stolen base uh, record uh, once coming over to to Triple A Omaha, um, and there's been speed in his profile all along. Uh, the fact that there may be something else that comes along with those stolen bases, and the fact that he could hit enough to justify uh, his uh, staying in in the Royals lineup. I think that's pretty exciting. I think that uh, he's worth a shot in 15-team leagues, even though that outfield situation in Kansas City does look a little tentative. Um, you've seen uh, Kyle Isbell kind of in and out there. Uh, so I'm not totally confident in the playing time, but I, I'd be willing to risk a roster spot on Waters uh, in the event that he not only plays regularly, but that we see some of that power-speed combo uh, in the major leagues. Yeah, chasing speed this late, you don't often get players with the raw power that Waters has. Some legitimate questions about his hit tool that need to be answered, but I will be interested to see if there's anything clearly different about him the more time he spends in the Royals organization. Can they find a way to get that strikeout rate down? It's been a problem for him really throughout his time in the upper levels of the minor leagues. I mean, 26% and higher since he first reached AA, but he's been so young for the level you get the sense that Drew Waters probably still could make some adjustments. And you think back to MJ Melendez and the massive improvement in his strikeout rate within the Royals organization going from high A up to the upper levels of the big league toward the big leagues. Maybe there should be uh, some reason for optimism with Waters. Uh, what are the Royals notes to pass along? Since we're talking Royals for a second, Vinny Pasquantino on the injured list with some shoulder discomfort. So uh, hopefully we'll see him again before the end of his rookie season, but Obviously, the Royals can play it very safe with him if they want to and just make sure he gets completely healthy for next season. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A couple of Yankees uh, getting opportunities here in recent weeks, Al. As Waldo Cabrera, playing kind of a, a lot right now, uh, do you believe in the bat for Cabrera? Because the numbers at AAA were not bad. Uh, I just wonder if the the threshold for him to stay in the lineup is is so high that he could pretty quickly fall out of the role he's currently filling. He could, and just because he really hasn't done a lot with the opportunity so far, he's started all seven games since getting called up, which is terrific. And and Eno and I talked about this on the Friday show a little bit. He we had sort of different perspectives on Cabrera because you know looked at the minor league numbers and they're they're not super impressive. But I just thought with his batted ball profile, somebody who does or at least has hit the ball in the air a lot and you get him in Yankee Stadium, you get him in the AL East, and maybe he puts up some some good power numbers. He's certainly get, getting the opportunity to do that. He just hasn't made good on it yet, so I don't know how long that's going to continue. But the other thing about Cabrera is that there's there's an opportunity there for him to, to stay in the lineup if he actually does hit because he's very versatile and I, I think that shortstop is the position where the Yankees could most afford to try something out because Isaiah kind of kind of Falefa just hasn't really been very productive this year. So uh, they could certainly give Cabrera an extended look there, but I don't know how much patience they're they're going to have with him. But I certainly liked his chances to get that shot more than Estevan Florial's, and that's kind of the the way that it's panned out so far after about a week. Yeah, looking at Cabrera's uh, hard hit rate, and I've referenced this a few times on the show over the last couple of months, but the Rotowire player pages have the Sports Info Solutions uh, contact quality data on them for minor leaguers. The The big concern I would have with Oswaldo Cabrera is the low hard hit rate. We're talking under 20% for hard hit balls, actually 15.4%, which is going to be one of the lower hard hit rates you'll see. So that is an issue potentially, but if he does a good job putting the ball in play as he gets more accustomed to big league pitching, 
Maybe he can be the kind of guy that just raises the ball all over, runs well, plays multiple positions, including one of need, and that ends up being enough. So I just think the the profile concern for me is is more based on the quality of the contact. To me, it's a little bit of an unknown for him. For Esteban Floreal, I thought he needed a trade. I was hoping he'd get moved at the traded line to an organization that would just let him play. And I think that's the problem I have so long as he remains a member of the Yankees. We've seen this with other young players in the roster. Miguel and Duhar, probably a good recent example of this. They do some different things. Florial having a nice season, stealing a lot of bases at AAA. I think he came up on our, our Quest for Speed episode a little while back. But really, it is more of a part-time role for him right now. And outside of AL-only leagues, I think it's very difficult to roster Florial at the moment. I agree. Just the playing time isn't there. And yeah, if it were a different organization and he had an opportunity to, to get some run, he's certainly got a much higher ceiling than Cabrera does. But that just the way the Yankees roster is constructed and the way it's going to look uh, when you have both Stanton and, and uh, Bader back, uh, there's there's just no room there. Ryan Pepio gets optioned back down to AAA by the Dodgers. Dustin May up in the rotation right now. So looks like Pepio is just sort of their up-and-down guy for the back of the rotation for the time being. Last time out, uh, career-best seven strikeouts against the Marlins, went six innings, also a career-best, gave up two earned on four hits, only walked two. That's always the key with Ryan Pepio. Can he can keep the walks in check? And Lennon Sosa option back to AAA by the White Sox, so his run of regular playing time quickly dried up. Uh, Freddie Tarnock was able to get an opportunity with Atlanta, and then he was optioned back. These are things that happen. You take a few days off, you see players debut, you check back in, and they're back at AAA. Um, Then Javier Assad debuted on Tuesday for the Cubs. We know the Cubs have a a pretty clear need for pitching. Four scoreless innings against the Cardinals. Um, Do you think we'll see a little more of Javier Assad here in the final six-ish weeks of this season? I would think so, given the number of injuries that the Cubs rotation has right now. And he's had a, a nice, not an overwhelming kind of season at AAA, but some good enough numbers that I think would earn him uh, another look, especially since he acquitted himself pretty well in his major league debut against a very, very tough and very hot lineup. Yeah, I just think they've got plenty of need in the organization right now with the Cubs, where one good start like that might be enough to earn a bigger opportunity for Assad. A few injuries to get to. Drew Gilbert is out for the season with a dislocated right elbow. Uh, Gilbert, of course, an early pick of the Astros, an outfield prospect, and uh, had a collision with the outfield wall that caused the injury. So should be back in 2023. The brief time we saw him this season, uh, you know, just didn't really have that much time to get on track. So I wouldn't wouldn't read too much into what he was able to do or unable to do in his uh, debut, but definitely a guy with a bright future despite the uh, injury slowing him down now. Uh, Jackson Churio, we've talked a lot about on this show over the course of the season, sitting with a sore elbow right now at High A, Wisconsin, so we'll keep an eye on that injury in the next few weeks. A couple level changes to note. Brian Rocchio, Talking a lot about the Guardians today. Brian Rocchio getting a chance at AAA Columbus. And I think the funny thing with the Guardians, Al, it's going to be interesting to see how they get all the pieces to fit. They have so many middle infielders who are legitimately good middle infielders. You can move some of those guys around, but there has to be some kind of big trade coming from the Guardians during the offseason. And I'm, I'm just interested to see who they actually want to keep out of this group of young players that they have have been inching their way towards big leagues 
over the course of this season. Well, and it'd be hard to imagine that they would trade Andres Jimenez given the the breakout season that he had. Maybe that makes it just all the more timely uh, to to trade him. Uh, I think it'd be more likely to see Ahmed Rosario uh, go and, you know, just think back a couple of years thinking, well, how are they going to have room for both of them after the Lindor trade? Uh, and they've, they've made that work. So uh, I'm sure that they'll, they'll find a way, like you said, probably by way of trade, but uh, yeah, I, I'm really uh, curious to see how he does when he does uh, reach the majors because the, the numbers have been just, you know, fine in the minors, but he's always been a little bit young for the level. So Again, there may be a little bit, as we often see with prospects when they come up, a, a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, but I think it's really hard with Rokio to tell exactly where the ceiling is uh, right now. It's been 143 games at AA between this season and last season. 19 home runs, 19 steals. The success rate as a base stealer is a little bit problematic. He's been caught 10 times, so 19 for 29 over the last two seasons combined. We did see improvement with the walk rate actually to a career best 9.7% prior to this promotion and an 18.8% strikeout rate absolutely plays at double A, but it is a bit surprising to see he's just kind of great at everything or good at everything and doesn't have one standout area at the moment. Given his age, given that he's a switch hitter, there's a very good chance that there's still more to come from Brian Rocchio. Uh, Alexander Canario in the Cubs organization, just got the bump up to AAA. Very young for that opportunity, just 22 years old. I think this is interesting because he showed a lot of power this year at lower levels. We're talking 24 home runs in 81 games at AA, popped seven homers in his first 24 games this season while going back to the high A level. And the strikeout rate actually improved with the promotion to a higher level. So after making the move from high A to AA, Canario got the strikeout rate down to 26%. It's a little on the high side for that level, but he's age-appropriate, if not even a tick young, for a player who was at AA. And, of course, Canario, one of the players that got back in the Chris Bryant trade. So really nice to see him reaching a third level this season. Yeah, uh, that uh, drop in the strikeout rate is really key. And he didn't spend a whole lot of time, just 24 games at high A this year. So you could argue that had he stayed there, that that probably would have normalized a little bit. But uh, a strikeout rate that you could probably live with, hopefully maybe chips away at that a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, like you said, just a load of power. Um, so, you know, that that will definitely uh, play, especially uh, when it comes with uh, 17 stolen bases and 20 attempts at double A this year. Uh, pretty exciting combination of skills on display there. Maybe a player that we see by the second half of 2023 as well, since he's getting that first taste of Iowa here during the final month or so of the minor league season. We got one trending player that I wanted to talk about, Josh Young showing that he is healthy at AAA so far this year in 10 games at that level. Five homers, a 390, 444, 878 line. If you miss out on Gunnar Henderson, and maybe you're in a situation where Corbin Carroll was already picked up by someone else, I think Josh Young might end up being a pretty good fallback option because he looks like an impact bat that's going to get a chance before the end of this season. That is a very good point. So probably remiss to not include him along with uh, Henderson and Carroll as prospects that maybe you think about stashing right now. Certainly tuck away a little fab if you've got it. Um, 
yeah, he's he's right in the same class there, and definitely on a trajectory to spend a little bit of time uh, in Arlington this uh, that late this summer. Yeah, I think we're going to talk a lot about Young in redraft leagues in 2023. Might be one of the more uh, coveted rookie bats from a power perspective. And I think he's got a very clear path to be the everyday third baseman for the Rangers throughout all of next season, regardless of whether or not he debuts on the stretch. But you just get the sense that he's doing enough at AAA, showing he's healthy, and they're probably going to want to see what he can bring to the table now that we're in that window where you can't exhaust your rookie of the year eligibility for next season. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free-throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to our level roundup. Some names on the hitter side that I don't think we've talked about at all this season. Justin Durden, who is now at AAA in the Astros organization, was tied for second in WRC Plus among qualified hitters at the AA level this season. Brett Beatty, as I mentioned earlier, was first. And Durden, I don't know if he just gets lost because he's an Astros prospect or because he was a little bit older for the level at double A, I think is kind of an interesting player. I mean, I, I think we've got to look at the we gotta look at this situation and and see the player that has continued to draw double digit walk rate up through double A, very close to that in his first eleven games at triple A, and has done a good job whittling away at that strikeout rate as he's advanced so far in the Astros system. Plenty of power. He's popped twenty home runs at double A this season before the promotion. Seven for nine as a base dealer. He leaves that level with a 324, 411, 616 line. And he's just not a player that comes up that often again because he just turned 25 this summer. But I wonder if Durden is just the kind of player that we overlook in fantasy circles because he I mean, wasn't a pro until last year. He didn't have any, any, any sort of pro track record prior to last season. He is. And I feel like this has been a little bit of a recurring theme on this Tuesday show when we talk about these older prospects who... Uh, rise up through the system and and keep on uh, maintaining the the skills profile uh, even though they're they're old for the level. So 
Uh, I do think Durden's an interesting player. And I do wonder, and I think you're right, by the way, DVR, that maybe part of the reason that we overlook him is because he is in the Astros system and uh, you can see him as blocked. But also the Astros are an organization that has given chances to Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers at the at the major league level, uh, even though they were a little bit old and they weren't you know big time prospects. So I could see Durden being kind of in that mold and getting an opportunity sometime in 2023 because uh, as long as he can take the numbers that he put at Double A and put something similar together at Triple A, uh, I I don't see why they would uh, would keep him down. And the one thing that I would just point out: it's very very early. He's only played 11 games at Triple A, but he has struck out 19 times in 52 plate appearances. So. Uh, while there uh, has been uh, you know, a, a high batting average there in spite of that, that's definitely something that uh, he'll have to improve upon. I wonder if he'll end up in the fall league potentially again. Being 25, left-handed hitting outfielder, has played all three outfield spots the, so far this season. So I think there's a versatility there for sure. And even as a lefty, if he ended up in a platoon situation, he'd be on the bigger side of a platoon if that's what the future holds for Durden. Uh, let's talk about Spencer Horowitz for just a little bit. Another older player, now also at AAA. Had a 409 OBP at AA New Hampshire before getting promoted to AAA Buffalo by the Blue Jays. I don't know why. I Even when players are in the upper levels of the minor leagues, I tend to be very cautious about first base prospects because I just know that the threshold for those players to break through and get a lot of playing time at the big league level is a difficult one to reach. But this looks like a profile that might actually work. How much concern do you have about the age to level consideration here, given that we're also talking about a player that doesn't seem to have much defensive versatility? Yeah, quite a bit of concern. And I have the same response that you do in terms of looking at a player, a first baseman coming up who's got an ISO that might be uh, a little above or even below 200. Uh, And and that's you figure that there's going to be some erosion of that. Uh, as he goes up uh, through through the system, and so you know already at, at double or I'm sorry, triple A, uh, an ISO of 136 after recording a 220 ISO uh, earlier this year at double A New Hampshire. So uh, you you know have to wonder how much in game power there's really going to be for Horowitz uh, when and if he does get to Toronto. Uh, and given his age, uh, the the whole picture is one that I think has a, a lot of red flags. Mostly playing first base in left field. He has made one start at second base at AAA Buffalo. I'd like to see him play somewhere like that a little bit more often just to open up the versatility because I think that gives him a much better chance of of sticking long-term. Takes some of the pressure off of his bat if he proves capable of playing somewhere else, even occasionally in the upper levels of the Jays' system. Uh, You put Sal Freelich on the rundown. I'm only saying it because I think I'm often accused on our podcast of (laughs) bringing up Brewers for no reason. But Freelich is interesting. He's a former first-round pick. and I mean, even going into the draft, he was one of those players that didn't have prototypical power but does seem to have a pretty well-above-average hit tool and maybe because of the speed and the defense actually has a path to be a long-term everyday player. But I don't know, is he a mostly floor sort of player or is there actually some ceiling, some growth potential here that people might be overlooking with Freelick? 
entirely possible he's 22 years old and has risen from high A to double A to triple A this season. And this was a, a reason why I wanted to talk about Freelich because, you know, you said former first round pick. Well, a first round pick in 2021 and already in triple A and not really losing any steam as he goes from level to level. Uh, but like you said, there's, there's not a lot of power there. So he is maintaining the skills profile, but he's also not really adding to it in terms of having any sort of power. He's now played 17 games at AAA Nashville. He hasn't homered yet, uh, but he has only struck out eight times in uh, 76, uh, 76 plate appearances. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And, and at every level other than AA, he's had a really high walk rate. So it's just an interesting and kind of weird profile combined with kind of a weird promotion pattern. Uh, he can play center field. So there, I mean, he doesn't really appear to be blocked. Um, it's just a question of when does he get to Milwaukee and what, what can he do once he gets there? Yeah, Freelich, you could see maybe sharing center field with Tyrone Taylor. But as the left-handed hitter, Freelich would have the upper hand splitting up the playing time by matchup. So I think that is definitely something to keep in mind. I, I'm looking to see, you know, is the is the hard hit rate as low as it was when we were talking about Oswaldo Cabrera a little bit earlier? In the very limited time that he's been at AAA, it, yeah, it looks like it is in that range, sub-20%. At a certain point, though, we've talked about this, I think, with Stephen Kwan as a current big leaguer. When you put as many balls in play as some of the ultra-low strikeout rate players do, you're going to have a lot of weak contact that gets mixed into the profile. And at a certain point, you wonder, like, okay, is it is it a problem or is it just a really sort of unique profile? I think with Freelick, that's kind of what we're looking at. He does draw a lot of walks, so it's not... It's not a, a concerning walk rate and then a great strikeout rate where teams are just you know, not afraid to pitch around him. I don't know. I look at Freelick and I'm actually somewhat optimistic. I think being able to steal any bases in our current landscape can put a player on the big league radar. And you look at the rate at which he was stealing bases at double A earlier this season, nine for 11 as a base stealer in 52 games. Maybe there's a 15 to 20 steal season in Freelick's reasonably near future at the big league level because he gets on base enough to get to that speed. But I don't know what kind of in-game power we're going to get against top-level pitching. If you told me today, yeah, he's probably a six to eight home run guy in the near future and you're going to get 20 steals, then I can work with that because I think there's a chance he's high enough in the order with that OBP where maybe you get a nice run total to go along with that speed and he probably provides a batting average that's at least good if it's not something that helps you. Yeah, that seems to be the path that he's on and that can be kind of sneaky valuable in fantasy. So just, yeah, really intriguing player, uh, you know, very unusual for a player with this profile to be promoted this aggressively, uh, particularly as an outfielder. So yeah, just really curious to, to watch what happens the rest of the season and going into spring training next year. And also maybe on the radar to debut at the end of the year because of the aforementioned service time rules and the need and the fact that he's on a team that is playing for a playoff spot right now with a, a, a possible upgrade in the waiting at AAA. So a lot to unpack there with Sal Freelich. Uh, Hudson Haskin, who is a second rounder from the Orioles in the 2020 draft, having his best performance in the minors so far, Al. 
132 WRC plus K rate at 21.3% is just fine. Walking enough at 8.8%. And he's pulling the ball less than he did during his first exposure to high A last season. So I think this is yet another another green check mark in the Orioles organization for a prospect taking a, a nice step forward while advancing a level this year. And I think that he's been overlooked because of being in a stacked organization, which is, I feel, I'm still getting used to saying that about Ori- the Orioles organization, but uh, it's, it's definitely true right now. Uh, but yeah, some just really solid numbers at double A Bowie, 276 batting average, 13 homers uh, as a 23 year old uh, second round pick from a couple seasons ago. And yeah, in, in a different era in Orioles baseball, we'd probably be talking about him a lot more. Yeah, you might be right about that. Let's go over to the pitching side for a couple of top prospects that have been at triple or double A so far for most of the season. Simeon Woods Richardson recently promoted to triple A, but has spent most of the season at double A. Lowered his walk rate after an increase last season, uh, both before and after that trade to Minnesota, was dealing with an increased walk rate. Very polished, though, for a soon-to-be 22-year-old. I thought there was a chance we'd see him maybe as soon as this season, but now it looks like it's more likely to be a first-half 2023 debut for Simeon Woods-Richardson. And it'll be, I think, useful for us to get a a look at him. Uh, Granted, very limited window uh, at at AAA because, uh, like you said, he did cut back the walk rate uh, this season, but... Also cut back the strikeout rate too, and uh, you know almost uh, ten strikeouts per nine. So not anything that you would necessarily complain about, but just be interesting to see how the skill profile uh, settles uh, now that he's at a higher level. Is is there going to be more erosion of that K rate? Uh, can he maintain the gains in the walk rate? I mean, I think that these are things that are going to really uh, be important not only the rest of the season, but if he starts next year at uh, AAA, uh, I think that, you know, will have a lot of, of bearing on uh, what kind of fantasy appeal that he has early next year. And even though he didn't debut with the Twins, at least not yet, this has to be considered a successful season, right? The ratios were inflated last year. Injuries limited him to just 53 and a third innings, so just being healthier over the course of this season, getting the ERA down to 306 with a 116 whip over a strikeout per inning at double A for a 21-year-old. There's a lot to like in this profile, and the Twins, as we've talked about, really going back to the winter, have a need in that rotation. Even if Simeon Woods-Richardson turns out to be more of a number three, number four starter type, that could absolutely help them in the immediate future once he's deemed ready to contribute at the highest level. I wanted to talk about Kyle Harrison for just a few minutes before we go because he continues to miss a ton of bats at AA. Harrison just turned 21 two weeks ago. The walk rate is still a little high at 11.6%, but when you strike out 36.4% of the batters you face, you can live with that higher K rate, home run rate just below 1 per 9 right now. Clearly the stuff just continues to play against higher level bats. And I think it's interesting to compare these two players because Harrison's the type of player we're more likely to chase in fantasy because there's a higher ceiling, but there's also a lower floor if the control issues persist as he eventually advances. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I will definitely be more interested in Harrison. Uh, like I said before, I, I do want to see how Richardson does it at AAA. Uh, whereas Harrison, I, I think 
it'll be really interesting to see in, in March drafts how aggressively people go after him. How much more time is he going to spend in the minors because he's just dominated uh, both high A and double A this season, uh, was very dominant at class A uh, in 2021. I mean, it's just, it's been the same picture uh, all along, just with a little bit of variation in the walk rate, but not so high, particularly this season. It hasn't been so high that you can't live with it, given just the absolute uh, gargantuan strikeout numbers that he's putting up. So I I would imagine that uh, he's going to be drafted uh, a lot next next year. You know, a late pick uh, in particularly in shallower leagues, but. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of excitement around him. Yeah, I think for NL-only leagues, you're talking about someone that's probably going to go for a few dollars even late in an auction setting. Two to three bucks wouldn't be surprising. If it looks like he's going to win a job out of camp, you can go for more than that. I think he's draft and hold viable as we look ahead to you know 50-round drafts this winter where you're trying to stash players that will get a chance at the big league level. And I'm looking at the workload this year, 98 and two-thirds innings last season. He's closing in on that total with about a month to go. So he should be probably in the 125 to 130 range when this season is over. That'd give him a pretty good volume target that he could hit for next season too. Probably an easy 165 to 170. It's rare to see pitchers this young have opportunities to log that many innings. Normally when we're talking about rookie pitchers, we're so worried about workload. It comes down to roster construction and not wanting to have a lot of those players on your team because you might have a big hole for innings to fill at the end of the season. I don't think that's going to be the case with Kyle Harrison based on how things are tracking right now. And I think the strikeout potential, as we've talked about every time we've discussed him on on this podcast, it's high enough where if you give him 160 to 170 innings, he might be able to get to 200 Ks with that sort of workload. And that plays for sure. Yeah, it really does. You know, the other thing too with innings uh, with him is that that is where the the walk rate really does become key because he could be one of these high strikeout rate pitchers who maybe doesn't get the innings in volume because he's inefficient. So that is a a little bit of a concern uh, with Harrison, but it is nice to know that he's uh, appearing to be on track to to build up enough innings that, uh, you know, if he does gain in that efficiency next year, that an innings limit is probably not something we're going to have to worry about. Yeah, at least not a, not a very strict one. And I think that bodes really well for Harrison's chances of making an impact in the 2023 rookie class. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Before we go, I should let you know you can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for just a dollar a month for the first six months at TheAthletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Wednesday with Under the Radar. 